Welcome to Explore the Space. We're digging into healthcare issues that matter most. Our guests and conversations mine these issues for perspective and answers. There is a gulf between healthcare and our communities. This is the place to talk about it. Now here's your host, Dr. Mark Shapiro. Welcome back to Explore the Space podcast. I'm your host, Mark Shapiro. Before we get to today's episode, a thank you to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Creighton University believes in equipping physicians for success in the exam room, the operating room, and the boardroom. If you want to increase your business acumen, deepen your leadership knowledge, and earn your seat at the table, Creighton's healthcare executive education is for you. Specifically tailored to busy physicians, our hybrid programs blend the richness of on-campus residencies with the flexibility of online learning. Earn a Creighton University Executive MBA degree in 18 months or complete the non-degree Executive Fellowship in six months. Visit www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E to learn more. My guest in this episode of Explore the Space podcast is David Smith. David is an economist and the CEO and founder of Third Horizon Strategies, which is a Chicago-based advisory firm focused on maximized human potential through a better health system. He is also the host of a new podcast from Lemonada Media called The Cost of Care. This is a provocative podcast, as the title may suggest, and it tackles a question, what is your life worth from a really interesting and provocative direction? It was a great opportunity to have him on and and to tease this out. This came up when I had one of the co-founders of Lemonada Media, Jess Cordova Kramer, on, and she told me about the show and and I said, you know, I, I, I would have some thoughts on the cost of healthcare in the United States. And this came about, and it's a fabulous conversation. There are links to the cost of care in the show notes as well. Definitely check that out. You can subscribe to Explore the Space on whichever platform you're listening to this episode on, Apple Podcasts or anything else. We're there. Please do leave us a rating and a review. That really helps us out. Hit me on Twitter at ETS Show. Email me, Mark, at ExploreTheSpaceShow.com. And of course, you can find the whole archive of Explore the Space podcast at www.explorethespaceshow.com. So all that said, without further ado, here is David Smith. David, welcome to Explore the Space. Thank you so much for coming on. Uh, Mark, thanks for having me. Looking forward to it. It's important to be said that while you and I were preparing and doing the little bit of pre-show get to know you, our conversation went in a very important direction, and it's worth calling out that we spent a few minutes on coffee and coffee roasting. Was I able to convince you of the benefits potentially of getting into home coffee roasting? I'm uh, yes, you. I, yes, you were. I'm <laughs> drinking the Kool Aid or coffee, I guess. And then I'm so happy. There's there's so much good banter about coffee and home coffee roasting. Super fun. I've been doing it for a long time, but. This is a welcoming community from my perspective. If you have coffee in your cup, I don't, whatever it is, as long as it makes you happy, you're welcome at my table. Well, I appreciate it. It's, you know, it's been a journey for me. Uh, five years ago, as I, I kind of exited uh, faithful Mormonism, uh, I started drinking coffee, but I was just drinking that, like that garbage you find in the gas station and you pay like 75 cents for. So yeah. I've upped my game, you know, yeah. a little bit over time you know year after year so i think you're introducing me to like the end game i think that this you know i think you're right i think that you're getting close like this is the leveling up that will kind of like, carry where, through where do you go after you roast your own coffee beans like that's that's like it right yeah you know it's fun because then you can find there's a lot of like-minded people out there and we all kind of realize like wait a minute 
this is actually saving me a ton of money. It's fast. It's fun. It's easy to clean up. And the product I'm getting at the other end of it is so superior. It kind of feels like we're in this little niche club where it's not snobbery because we're not spending all of our money. We're saving our money because it's it's cheaper once you're kind of up and running. <laughs> and then you're just like, hey, did you taste this new thing from Rwanda? And hey, what about this pea berry from Guatemala? It's it's wild. It's the best. Yeah, you you've transcended coffee snobbery. That's, that's, <laughs> I like, love that's it. A big deal culturally. That is achievement unlocked right there. Exactly. <laughs> I'm so excited about that. But, you know, it's fun. You, you you know, you try your favorite beverages. You try different beverages. You, you know, you do you like to do a single cup pour over? Do you make a pot of coffee for the family? Do you like to make espresso drinks? You just tinker. You just have fun with all of it. And, you know, do you make cold brew? All of it. It all works. It all translates. And it's just it's it's super fun. And you end up just, you know, beautifully wired. It's great. <laughs> beautifully wired is how i function um, so anything that adds to that is uh is welcome there you go well we do have work to do i want to spend as much time in the coffee space as possible but we have some work to do here because i want to acknowledge right out of the gate that you are doing something important and something exceptional you are hosting a show on lemonada media called the cost of care and it's Excellent. Let's just start right there. It's excellent. I'm going to stop and let you and and have you reflect back to me just knowing that you're doing something important. Yeah, well, <laughs> thank you. I really appreciate it. And and to have a to have a, a six year uh, veteran, you know, with 220 plus episodes say it's excellent is it's meaningful to me. You know, it's, it, it kind of feels like right now I, I feel like any day my my nine year old daughter is going to walk into my office and tell me she's starting a podcast. Right. It's like <laughs> everybody's doing podcasting. And so, as, as you know, it's it's kind of hard to cut through the noise in that space. But it's such an amazing platform to to have conversations like this and share big ideas and be thoughtful and to do it in a way that, that reaches a lot of folks. And so our, our partners at Lemonada Media have just been like, I cannot say enough about what an amazing group that is. And we've uh, we've put out eight episodes now really exploring um, the fundamentals of how patients experience healthcare and, and the problems with healthcare. And, you know, I'll be honest, I've, I've been doing this work for over a decade and I, like, God, I've just, I've learned so much and it's just been one of the it's been one of the most fun experiences of my life. It's good to hear that the word fun pops up in the narrative. I had Jess Cordova Kramer, who obviously, as you know, helped start Lemonada Media, and she's just a comet. She's exceptional. But she mentioned what you were doing and said, you know, do you have interest in this topic of the costs of care? And I said, yeah, I mean, I, I have some thoughts. You know, I've been a practicing physician as a hospitalist <laughs> for 15 years and we're in the middle of a pandemic. Yeah, I have some thoughts. Uh, and that's that's <laughs> how you mind. Yeah. I mean, that's how you and I kind of came together here. And and it's good, though, in doing what is really hard work, that it still feels energizing and fun. And I am equally gratified that you're having the same experience that I do, that as you're doing these episodes and as you say, cutting through the noise, it's the guests, it's the people that you talk to that illuminate the road. Yeah, it, it's it's so true. I in, in almost every single episode we've done. I kind of have this moment with, you know, we'll, we'll do two or three interviews and kind of cut them together. But 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 at least once in that episode, I'll have had a moment during the interview where they'll say something. And I'm just like, holy shit, like, yeah. I never thought about it that way. Like, I, I have to redo all my questions like on the fly because I want to go down that path because that's brilliant. 
It's so true. And I'll be honest with you, having done this for a while, that's why I don't script my episodes because I don't, I want to be ready and as agile as possible. Cause I know that you, sometime in the next 30 minutes, David, you're going to say something that I'm going to just have to stop and pivot on immediately. Cause it's going to be awesome. All right. There's the bar. <laughs> the gauntlet the bar. just got thrown down. Yeah. But no, <laughs> you, you have to be ready for that. And it's part of the, the craft of doing this because the audience wants to hear it too. They'll see the same kind of tasty nugget and they'll be like, wait, what's that about? And if it's scripted and you just blow right by it with, you know, whatever's number eight on your list, it's just an opportunity that you didn't, that you missed. Yeah, completely agree. So in that space, though, of things that really jump out and things that make you have to stop and recalibrate. When I went on the website for the cost of care for the first time under the about the show, it starts with a question. What's your life worth? And that was that kind of moment for me, like, ah, the show sees the matrix because we ask that question a lot. And it's asked in the context of what things are fulfilling and what things are of value to you and these sorts of things, you have flipped that on its head, acknowledging that healthcare and individual health and population health in the United States is seen as something of value that can be plundered. And we've talked about on the show, you know, with, with a variety of people that, right, it's not patience, it's plunder. And it's it's profoundly alarming. And when I saw that you were setting the stage for the cost of care with that question being flipped on its head, I thought that was really smart. Yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I, you know, there there's, I think, two contexts that I, I think about that statement. In. And and the first is, is the very clear, but I think salient uh, approach, which is, you know, how much we spend in this healthcare system every year, you know, the $4 trillion that we get from taxpayers and, and that we get from premium payers, employers, and through our co-pays and deductibles and the like, we spend a tremendous amount of assets and resources compared to other countries. Uh, and yet our life, our life expectancy uh, on average is about five years less than it is in, in most other countries. And that's not just the health system's fault, but but there's kind of this big dissonance. If we spend two times the amount everyone else's, we're living five years less. Like we're we're screwing something up pretty profoundly along the way. So then the second context I I like to think about that statement in is is just the value of our lives as human beings. And I've I've been on this riff lately where like I've I've got three young kids. I've got a nine year old, a four. Uh, I've got a nine year old, seven year old, and four year old. And Every time uh, each of them were born, and I'm sure all parents have something like this experience, each time that each were born, I I found myself thinking about like all the different pathways their life could go, like how long they could live, would they be successful, you know, would, would they be able to have babies, would they go to school, would they drop out of high school, would they have a problem with a substance use disorder, you know, all of those things you think about as parents and you know, when we're born, each of us comes into this world like the same. We all have one thing in common when we enter the world, and, we, and we've got a clock on us. And it's this finite amount of time that we have to do stuff. And what we come with is is our hardwired genes, and then we come into an environment that we're not really going to get to change or shape for, you know, at least 15, 20 years. And that becomes so deterministic about the rest of our life. And so our life is kind of this, this constant I think journey to to fulfill that capacity we have as a kid, knowing that like life is just throwing um, 
hurdles and, and, and obstacles and, and grenades at us as, as we go. And our health system was kind of supposed to be designed to help us navigate some of that. But we put all the money in the wrong place and we don't think about the whole person. And that's why we, you know, we die a lot earlier. The way that you frame that puts into specifically for me, particularly that second component, right? There's the genetic component and then there's the world around us. That is an element that I think all of us are, when I say all of us, let me back that up because it's not, that's a misstatement. There are many people in healthcare who are having increased understanding of what that second component looks like and the adverse impact it's having because we didn't necessarily learn it in medical school or in our training around social determinants of health and the healthcare disparities in the United States and the impact that that has. These are things that for me, at least over the last several years, has been a proper awakening. And that's also part of the issue is that those who are going forth to practice aren't getting the training in that second domain that you so correctly laid out, the social determinants of health and how they impact health on an individual, a community and a population level and the disparities that exist within that's, that's where it is. And that's what, I mean, when you look through the roster of the costs of care, like you're pulling that stuff out, it's, it's, if it's not right on the surface, it's the subtext in each of your episodes. And I, and I just, I really appreciate that because that's the space that we really need to be in right now of first just understanding what that means, what those disparities look like, how it affects underrepresented minorities, how it affects women, how it affects everybody in different ways, but how the disparities are just, they amplify the problem so much. Putting that in, baking that into this is is just such an important move. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, it, it's, been, it's been really exciting to watch the industry begin to at least talk about social determinants of health. Like I'm sure you've been to conferences over the last few years and, you know, some, some freshly minted CEO stands up and, and they use the term social determinants of health. Like it's this really brand new, exciting focus area. Like we've known this shit for a hundred years. Like that, that term is literally <laughs> a century old. Yeah. Um, and so like a cynic could roll their eyes at that scene and just be like, Oh, it's just the latest fad. And you know, there's a risk of that, but I, I choose the optimist point of view, which is, we're all at least talking about it and and saying the words and and what you just said about the importance of that and the and the value to society like if if you think about every single part of what makes a well functioning society right economic development growth productivity social interconnectedness like all of these things stem from one place and that's human health and human health is defined by a person's capacity to become, the capacity to be, to, the capacity to transcend um, mental health challenges and social circumstances. And if we just figured out how to get, like, America's done really well for 240 years, like, sucking at this. And if we actually got really good at it, um, the impact on our country across the board, economically, socially, culturally, it, 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 there's nothing that would stop us. But but we don't focus on it and it's to our own detriment. It's in the declaration of independence, the life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And and yeah. for, me, for me, that's an important thing. Like it's that that's there for a reason. And if we can recalibrate and focus on that, we're doing the right work. It's not a platitude. Like everyone should aspire to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We're not there. And you know, it's important that we can own that and, and acknowledge that there are opportunities where we can get better. There's places where we must do better. And this is certainly one of them because the stakes can't be higher. Do you find, though, as you're doing this work, 
producing the episodes, doing the interviews, releasing them and getting feedback. What would you say is the most common emotion that you as the host of the Costs of Care experience? Oh God, that's a, that's an amazing question. I like, I've been everywhere from like ugly sobbing and, yeah. you know, hearing somebody, somebody's incredibly heartfelt, tender story and, and just weeping with them, uh, uh, during the interview. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I felt tinges of optimism, excitement, hope, clarity. I'd say the prevailing emotion that, that I felt has, has been a sense of, the, uh, the the enormity of what has to happen in, in order. You know, we're thinking a lot right now. We're about to to really dig into the narrative and scripting of our tenth episode, and and the idea of this is is really supposed to be you know here's how to protect yourself as a patient, and here's what we can do to change the system. All right, gang, let's go change the system. And like, there's a lot we can be doing as individual folks in our communities and states, but but the truth is that the government. And being, you know, allocating half of this money has to play a big role. And the politics, as you know, keep us stuck. And so I, I get so frustrated about the fact that we are stuck um, in some ways because of government, because of politics, when we have everything we need to get this right. Like, there's nothing we don't have. We have the money, the resources, the science, the evidence that drugs the workforce like we have everything um but because we're politically because of this political dissonance we stay mired in this dysfunction and on the surface like it's just it's just a game but when when you dig deeper into that the loss of of life the the the, the hours the days the months the years the the tremendous strain and and the burden that this places on people is so real and so palpable. So I do these interviews and I weep and then I get pissed that we're stuck and like just fucking sick of it. The most common thing that I continue to experience and your show brings this up for me. I've had to learn over the course of my lifetime, how to recognize when I'm angry and how to deal with it. Not because I had anger management issues, but I would like, quench it. Like I, I didn't validate the fact that I'm angry and my reasons for feeling angry are good and valid. And I need to express it and, and resolve this. Or as I've gotten better at it, the place where I get angry is seeing what happens to human beings in this, in this chopper, right? In this thresher, when things go sideways and they go sideways over and over. And I found that my ability to get angry doesn't get exhausted. Uh, and <laughs> each of your episodes, I don't even need to listen to the whole thing to know, like, this is going to fucking piss me off because <laughs> I, I, I'm a frontline physician. I work in a hospital. It's the it's the safety net hospital for the upper third of the state or one of them. Um, I, I hate the fact that we have a term safety net hospital. What does that even mean? Like that in and of oh itself my is, God, is right. a, it's appalling. But here we are and we know what these things are. And I'm really, really lucky as a physician that I had a, a great role model. It was my dad and my dad was a nephrologist. He was a kidney doctor and he was an episode number 100 of explore the space. But one of the things that he taught me, and it's a, it's something that I've had really good mentorship and guidance along the way is the, the decision-making that you make and the power that you have as a doctor to stand up for your patients. And when the hospital is telling you to do something or some enterprise is telling you to do something, you say, no, 
You want to do that? You get your license and you sign the order. You do it. And it's, it's, you don't do it because you're trying to flex your muscle. You do it because it's the right thing to do for someone who needs your help. And that mindset that I'm so fortunate, my dad helped me to understand and some really influential people in my life have helped me to understand has been critical for me. And I think that in large part as, as physicians and nurses and allied health professionals recognize that they can do that same thing and that it's the right thing to do that, 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 Drawing that line is an important way to a reconcile that anger a little bit and b make sure you know that you're doing the right thing. It's such a profound thing to say. Actually, I'm, I'm going to just jump back one second because I, I got to hit on one thing you said, and then I'd love to respond to this. But um, the term safety net, um, <laughs> I'm sure Mark, you've heard this a whole bunch. Yeah. Like the best, Mark, is when you've got the term safety net in the same sentence as health equity. And like, and <laughs> right. Are at it, like, serious. Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it, oh, my, oh, my God, really? How can you juxtapose those two things with a straight face? Oh my God. It's a, it's crazy. Right now, just everybody's talking health equity. And again, like, I don't want to be a cynic. I love it. I love that we're saying the words and talking about it, but, but David, um, like I went to medical school not- and I went to medical school in Houston. I went to Baylor college of medicine. It's an extraordinary medical school, the Texas yeah. medical center. There's nowhere like it on the planet. That's, that's a true statement. There's nowhere else like it with, with respect to the number of hospitals, the quality of faculty, you name it. It's, it's an immense place, literally and figuratively. But again, you have, you know, a hospital, you have hospitals that, that are exactly that they're, you know, the gleaming tower of, of all things expensive. And then the like, you know, tough it out shoestring budget hospital. And they're literally like a quarter mile apart. And it's, 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 it's it's right in front of you. It's, I don't know, you and I I could, you could interview any physician and they would just be like. You just say go and they would give you 30 minutes of examples of just the weird service <laughs> blocks and strange things that they've seen. It, it, oh, it's subtle. It's nefarious. It's weird. And it's just it just doesn't have to be that way. There's still money to be made and it still doesn't have to be that way. If the goal is to profit, which I mean, for reasons passing understanding, we're still there. You can still do all these things, but profit is not part of the triple aim. Right. Well, and and the way we reinvest earnings, right? Like reinvesting earnings to go buy another regional medical center in another state that yeah. like has nothing to do with with your clinical footprint or or upgrading technology that, that where there's already an oversupply of in the community. I like, I'll, I'll give you one one quick example and God, I hope he doesn't listen to this episode cuz <laughs> so I'm not even going to use his name, but um I have a really, really close colleague. He's a, he's a CEO of an organization, and uh, and and he does a lot in the hospital finance ecosystem. He's he's has a background as a CFO. Great guy, like salt of the earth dude. And um, he's he's listening to the show. He listens to episodes one and two. And he's calling, telling me how great it is. And he gets to episodes three, four, and five. You know, this is where we're getting into like billing, upcoding, and man, he's just taking pot shots at me. Well, you didn't explain charges versus prices, and and you're just kind of being a bit anecdotal and we get to um we get to episode five where i have a sheesh jaw on the phone dr jaw uh-huh. and he makes a statement about nonprofit hospitals that that really you know say they're two to three percent margins are they really or are they just investing in all this other stuff that's not germane to to their core operations so i get a call from my friend and he just uh, he rips me apart for this episode because he knows what all these hospital other hospitals go through and that nonprofits are truly salt of the earth community orgs. 
And the, the thing I said back to him, Mark, was, dude, I am on the board of a safety net hospital on the southwest side of fucking Chicago. We have two facilities. We we run at one and a half percent margin. We do like not investing anything else into our facilities, our community like we can operate on that. So you're telling me that I'm not going to say other facility names. These are all facilities that are just running on the meager two to three percent. No, it's a it's bullshit game we play because we invest in all this other cost elsewhere and we don't focus on the patient. Ooh, that was a that was a rant. Sorry, Mark. No, it's fine. It, it, but it, it brings up the important point, right? When you were reflecting back on the things that you have heard, what I immediately thought of is the sheer complexity of all of this. And I think that that's one of the things that has kept the population at large from moving from the anecdotes, which we all hear to the broader understanding. And I think it gets to your most recent episode as well. Medical jargon is killing us. The idea of just obfuscatory language and system complexity, it's really hard to really get your teeth into something when it's so hard to understand. When even the experts struggle to articulate the nuance, the variance, the this compared to that, the complexity of the system is so complicated. I don't pretend to fully understand it, and I'm in the midst of it. It's it's a huge barrier, I think, to the layperson. It's ex- I, I, it's intimidating for me, and I am fully empowered to understand all of this. So I can only imagine how intimidating it, it must feel to somebody from uh, without the training that I've had, or somebody from an underrepresented minority, or someone who's had a negative experience with healthcare in the United States and doesn't know what to do with it. Do you feel like that is in and of itself a massive barrier to that sort of population pushback to this system? Yeah, I, I, abs, absolutely. Look, we it is incredibly complicated and it gets more complex, you know, with with every passing year, new programs, regulations, policies, it, it gets harder and harder to, to understand. And and so I, you know, there are, as, as you know, these power centers in government and in the market that they're actually pretty cool with the way things are because you know they're they they continue to 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 derive their power from that dysfunction and i think it's part of the reason it's become so easy to politically weaponize uh different positions in healthcare and why so many people you know kind of catch on to it it's like okay if i'm watching either tucker carlson or rachel maddow like pick, pick your side of the the, the, the ideological you kind of get this whole complex thing simplified into three or four bullets about what the other side is trying to do to screw you and why you should vote in a particular way. And so we we have learned to weaponize that misinformation at the system level to keep people from from exercising um, their electoral capacity to change the system. And then, and then that keeps them mired in a different sort of misinformation that keeps them from being able to engage the system in a way that will promote their health. And round and round we go, year after year, just making it worse. I would imagine that there are people that don't like hearing what you just said in a podcast on a, on a pretty solid network, Lemonada Media. What sort of feedback are you getting? Because one of the cool things about podcasting is you can get rapid feedback. People can leave comments. They email you. They'll find you on social media. Are you, what are you experiencing? I know you've acknowledged that you know, your friend reached out to you and, and you've had some conversations. What's your gestalt, though? Because what you just articulated, <laughs> I can imagine that there are entities that don't like that that's getting out into the public discourse in a you know, clearly articulated, easily reproducible fashion. What are you experiencing eight episodes in? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Well, first, no death threats just yet, which I'm disappointed <laughs> about. Like, I was kind of hoping this would be my entry into to being able to count myself and getting a really a, a DM just filled with hate. Um, but not yet. Um, you know, generally, uh, the I, I think the response has been favorable. We're, we're obviously still early in the journey. And, you know, you've got a, you got a couple comments uh, on the show itself from people that kind of say, like, oh, oh listen, we're. We die five years earlier because we're all fat and we eat cheeseburgers. Well, no shit. Like, I, I get that that's driving chronic disease prevalence, but that's that's not the root. Like, you've got to go way more upstream uh, to get the root of misinformation about food and, and social factors that are driving that kind of decision making. And the fact that we never spend time with a nephrologist anymore because they have too many patients. And so they can't tell us we might be at risk for kidney disease because of the Big Mac. So, like, I, I get some of that stuff. There's been a little bit that's come in around the value-based myth, this this idea that, you know, it, it's not really going to work if we pay for care differently um, and that that's not really the problem. But I've heard that my entire career. Um, and that's generally been kind of it. And we, we've had a few of those things. But I'll, I'll tell you, Mark, on the other hand, I think I think people are finding that their ability to understand this big abstract complex system is made a bit easier because it's it's kind of broken down differently and it lets them connect with with the humanity of this industry and i and i think people i've been surprised with how many people that work inside the system have been really have expressed their appreciation about this the show rns physicians specialists and you know it turns out that like all the people we're hearing from in the industry are like yeah dude like go oh, this this place does suck, by the way. Like, here's here's my story, and that's just been that's been really validating to get that kind of feedback because it makes me makes me feel like we're on the right track. That is good to hear, and that obviously begs the question: Does that feedback shape the future trajectory of the cost of care? And I I'm very curious to know this: What is the arc? Are we looking at like a 10 episode Netflix series? Are you going to do this longitudinally? <laughs> What's your vision here going forward? Cause there's obviously a lot more rocks to flip. Yeah. So many more rocks to flip. Like we, uh, nursing homes, uh, drug costs. Like there's, yeah, there's no shortage of, of really, um, really, uh, important and deep things to get into. You know, I, uh, when we set out to do this, um, you know, my, my business really felt that this was an important way for, me to use my time and my voice. And, and so we all kind of made a collective investment to to put our heart into this. And we saw this as kind of starting with a 10 episode arc by really trying to, you know, to share my story as kind of this biopsychosocial example of, of how trauma can uh, transfer intergenerationally and and really have this this big impact. And and then we wanted to go through the mechanics of the system, really dig into to the the mental health and social factors, and then try to end with solutions. And and I think if we stop there, we will have felt like um there's something that will have staying power and impact. And, and we feel really good about that. That said, we're we're also beginning to to think what what would a second season look like? What would a third season look like? What are the other things that the people are reporting? And so yeah, Mark, to your to your point, I, I think we're now getting a lot of feedback and a lot of data points that are going to help us shape where we might go with this. And that's it's just super exciting. I'm a huge fan of evergreen content. 
you know, I like it when you can say, oh, yeah, go back to episode, you know, two. And it's just as good today as it was four <laughs> years ago. But I'm going to be really fired up when the cost of care is no longer evergreen. When you look back at episode seven, why kidney failure pays and we can say, wow, remember that historical document? God, that was a weird time. And things are better now. Yeah, It'll be good when I, we can make your show be one of those things where, yeah, remember more of a remember when than boy, we're still in this space. You know, I I will tell you, and I mean this as sincerely as as I can possibly state it. Like I, I, I I'm a fortunate person. I've had a lot of lucky breaks in my life, and I, I I have a great life. And that life has been made possible because of the sheer dysfunction of this system. Because I spend my life trying to fix it and you know people pay us for that yeah um but i would not be i would be beyond elated if i woke up one day and the industry was like all right we're good we don't need people like you anymore and then i had to go do something else like do you know what you would do fix higher education no (laughs) well that would be cool too but no you'd come and we would open a, a coffee roasting store done a roastery that's what i'm saying shapiro and smith Easy peasy, man. Like it's done and done. We just have to fix healthcare and we can go open our roaster. Yeah. All right. Well, can I, let's, let's set the target. That's right. Can I pitch you on a topic to, to put into the fold at some point? Yeah, please. The impact of climate change on human health. Yeah. That's a, that's a great topic. What have, what have you learned as I assume you've, you've had interviews on I this have. given. We've, we've done some, some really provocative content around climate change and human health. And, there's a couple things that I've learned. The biggest one is that climate change is a threat multiplier. Dr. Catherine Hayhoe from Texas Tech taught me that concept. She is unbelievable and uh, just an extraordinary vision of all of this. And then the various domains in which climate change is a threat multiplier to human health specifically. Opportunities for improvement inside healthcare, outside healthcare, the places that we need to learn and get comfortable talking about it, the things that we now need to be watching out for and acknowledging disaster management, right? I live in Northern California. We've been through three major wildfires in four years in my region. All of these sorts of things that directly impact human health, that directly impact the need and, and desire, the need and, and necessity of healthcare, both emergently and longitudinally. It's, it's, it's interwoven with all of the work that you're doing. For me, and I talk about this on social media, right? It's the apex predator. And the more we're able to acknowledge it and interweave it into these narratives and the faster we're able to do that, hopefully the better off we all will be in my opinion. But I feel like my opinion has been informed by some extraordinarily smart people. No, it's, it's, it's something I've, it's something that is not far from the the fore of my mind. And I, I think what, what makes it so prescient in the moment, you know, we're living is, we just came on the other side of this, you know, or we are coming out of the other side of this 15 month period where this unexpected exogenous thing that we should have been prepared for, like we knew was going to come eventually, um, but we weren't prepared for. And and it created this tremendous loss of human life and productivity and, and economic contraction. And climate change represents a similar exogenous variable where there's still so much we don't know about how it's going to affect human health, but we know that those effects are going to be profound. We know that we know they are on the horizon and we kind of know the things both in climate policy and health policy we could be doing now to buttress that. And yet we're not. So I, I love that as a topic. 
you're pursuing the right stuff at the right time and it's exciting the show is brilliantly done it fits really nicely from my perspective too in the lemonade media ecosystem of really challenging topics approached by people who are motivated from personal experience about things that matter uh in the moment and i and i think it's 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 important it's timely and it's and it's wonderful where do people find the cost of care where can they follow you how can they kind of continue this learning process, continue this engagement process that you're really working hard to take us on. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for asking. So the, the show itself can uh, anywhere somebody gets uh, their podcast, just a search for the cost of care and really cool artwork with a patient kind of um, you know, submerging in water with all the, the tech stuff around them. And so it's, it's easy to spot. And then I, you know, a bunch of different ways to get to me, but probably the best is just through Twitter. Um, my handle was at uh, CHI, short for Chicago, CHI David Smith. Fantastic. We'll have links to all of that in the show notes as well. David, this was a total treat. I'm, I'm delighted that you came on. I'm, I'm so glad to have found the show and to be able to have this conversation. Keep doing what you're doing, man. It's important. And this was outstanding. Well, same to you. Um, love the work you're doing. Appreciate it being on. And uh... I'll, uh, I'll get on the, I'll get on the roasting hashtag Medgrind. There you go. That, that's right. That'll be perfect. We'll follow along for sure. David, thanks so much. <laughs> thanks, Mark. My thanks once again to David for joining me on this episode of Explore the Space podcast. We've got all the relevant links in the show notes, his Twitter feed, a link to the Cost of Care podcast. Please do check those out. Thank you also to Lori Bedke and Creighton University for sponsoring this episode. Learn more about Creighton's Executive MBA and Executive Fellowship programs at www.creighton.edu backslash C-H-E-E. Thanks to you for listening to this episode as well. Always appreciate you taking the time and really grateful for the support. Please do check out the website for Explore the Space podcast. The whole archive is there, www.explorethespaceshow.com. Come hit me up on Twitter at ETS Show. You can email me, mark at explorethespaceshow.com. And please do share the show with your friends and your colleagues. Really appreciate all of the support. We will be back soon with more great content. Until then, take care. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Explore the Space. Visit us on our website, explorethespaceshow.com. And please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at ETS Show. And you can email Dr. Shapiro by writing to mark at explorethespaceshow.com.